I really want to bring the Word of God today as we start December. And the Word that I've had in my spirit is salvation. Salvation. And um, I want to start with a story. Um, and this year, uh, I don't know, there's lots of stories this year. But one story that got my attention is Mount Everest. Uh, this year, there was more deaths on Mount Everest than there's ever been before. And, uh, and obviously, the commercialization of climbing and, uh, you know, inexperienced climbers, it's, it's become incredibly um, disheartening and sad because uh, one of the images, I, didn't have, I don't have it for you today, but one of the images, there was a big queuing, a line of climbers waiting to get to the, to the, the peak, to the summit. And, uh, and it's a dangerous place to be waiting in line because, you know, it, it, they call it the death zone. Anyway, the reason I'm saying that is because there's a story that got my attention and I'd like to read it to you today. On the 25th of May, 2006, it was a climber called Lincoln Hall who was left for dead by his guides on the side of Mount Everest. Hall, Hall had become disorientated from altitude sickness, which had caused him to drift away from the group. He was left alone on the mountain with no hat, gloves or oxygen bottles. The next day, the crew released a statement announcing his death. Little did they know that Lincoln Hall was very much alive, but he was fighting for his life. A day later, another climbing team, led by Daniel Mazous, set out to reach Everest. The climbing group came across Lincoln Hall, who was miraculously still alive. Marus, who was literally just two hours away from the peak from the summit of Everest, abandoned his Everest quest and left his climbing group to carry Lincoln Hall down to the camp at the base of the mountain which took another four hours trek. Sadly, just a few days before this, another climber called David Sharp died a few hundred meters away from the summit when dozens of people passed him by because they didn't want to risk their own Everest glory. Humanity at its best, humanity at its worst. Today, I want to talk to you about God's great rescue plan. I believe Christmas is the announcement of a great rescue plan. Luke's gospel captures so much about the Christmas season. It says this, For today in Bethlehem, a rescuer, a savior was born for you. He is the Lord Yahweh, the Messiah. You will recognize him by his this miracle sign, you will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a feeding trough. For most of us in our 21st century culture, we have no idea really what this represents. But this was an announcement from the angels of heaven to shepherds. Shepherds understood because when they, as Jewish people, would prepare a lamb for sacrifice, remembering the Passover lamb that went all the way back to Egypt when, when the, God's people were, were literally liberated from uh, the oppression in Egypt, it, 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 a lamb was sacrificed. And so the, the shepherds understood that a little lamb was prepared. It was spotless. It was untainted. It was set, literally set apart for the Passover and, and they would put it in a trough. They would put it in this kind of, and it would be surrounded with hay and, and very insignificant and very, you know, in some ways, but they did it because they knew this lamb was going to be sacrificed. So when they were told that you will find a brand new baby, and he will be literally wrapped in strips of cloth and he will be literally found in a feeding trough. Not glorious, 
When heads of state come to town, we don't, you know, diminish them. We honour them. We respect them and we dignify them and we show great respect to who they are and what they represent. But when Jesus came into the world, He was not dignified. He was literally humbled to an insignificant feeding trough. And you know, in our world today, when you announce a baby, there's usually great rejoicing, but you're not intimidated. But our story of faith is not just an announcement of a baby. It's also the declaration of who He is and who He is becoming and who He ultimately will be and that He will literally be a man who will die on a cross for a whole lot of people who don't fully understand. So when you show a baby, you kind of go, oh, that's cute. But when you show a broken, bloodied, naked man on a cross, it's offensive And it's almost confronting to the point where you say that makes no sense. But our story doesn't just finish with a baby. It just doesn't even finish with a man that was crucified. Our story continues with a man resurrected, with a man that was raised from the dead. Our story starts with a miracle. It continues with a miracle. And it continues with a resurrection of a dead man that came to life. Now, if you don't believe that stuff, then I don't know what else you're going to believe. But I find that this story of faith is something that everyone needs desperately in their lives. I believe faith exists and I believe it can just be in the wrong places. And so we want to understand as we go into this Christmas season, what is it? What is it for those who do believe? What is it for those who don't believe, who are just going to spend more time at the Christmas markets, more time eating that beautiful stolen, eating that beautiful Christmas cake, whatever it is that you love to eat, and drinking and being festive. I do believe in being festive, but I just know this. The announcement of a rescuer, the announcement of a saviour. The Apostle Paul echoes this great rescue plan. And he says this in Romans chapter 10, Dear brothers, the longing of my heart and my prayer is that the Jewish people might be saved. I know that what enthusiasm they have for the honour of God, but it is misdirected zeal, for they don't understand that Christ has died to make them right with God. Instead, they're trying to make themselves good enough to attain God's favour by keeping the Jewish laws and customs. But that is not God's way of salvation. They don't understand that Christ gives to those who trust in Him everything they are trying to get by keeping the laws. He ends all of that. For Moses wrote that if a person could be perfectly good and hold out against temptation all his life and never sin once, only then could he be pardoned and saved But the salvation that comes through faith says you don't need to search the heavens to find Christ and bring Him down to help you. And you don't need to go amongst the dead to bring Christ back to life again. For salvation that comes from trusting Christ, which is what we preach, is already within easy reach of us all. In fact, it is as near as our own hearts and mouths. For if you tell others with your own mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord and believe in your own heart that Christ has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you become right with God and it is with your mouth that you tell others of your faith, confirming your salvation. For the Scriptures tell us that no one who believes in Christ will ever be disappointed. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They all have the same Lord who generously gives, who generously gives, who generously gives. 
his riches to all who ask him for them. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be rescued. We all love a rescue story. I can't encourage our church enough in this season where the temptation to be distracted, to be busy, that we would take this moment to really just keep what it is about at the forefront. It's the announcement of the greatest rescue plan humanity is ever going to hear of. When economies fail, we talk about rescue plans. When policies fail, we talk about rescuing and political rescue or economic rescue. And that is going on in our world today. But could we actually, as God's people, talk about the real rescue that needs to happen? The real rescue that needs to happen? Many of you have been at Christmas services. Many of you have been following Christ for years now. And the danger is to become indifferent and apathetic and God help us, even maybe even cold-hearted. But I think there's a reminder in Hebrews chapter 2, if I can read it to you, to not be indifferent about the great rescue plan. What makes us think, think, what makes us think that we can escape if we are indifferent to this great salvation? Announced by the Lord Jesus Himself and passed on to us by those who heard Him speak. The great salvation that we're talking about today is an act of grace. 1 Peter chapter 1 says this, This great salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. This salvation is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching and wanting to know more about it. I believe God's great rescue, God's great salvation impacts us internally and externally. And for the time, sake of time, I, I don't have enough time to keep breaking salvation down into the depth that it is and the depth that it has for us. But I do want to give you some verses that will help you to, 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 to lock into really what the Bible says about it. And we will upload this message so you can look for the verses yourself. And I've got lots of examples about the rescue plan of Jesus in the rescue plan, Jesus in operation, Jesus actually rescuing different people in society. And we can all find that just through Luke's gospel. But some of the verses that I want to share with you, Acts chapter 4, they'll come up on the screen. It says this, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Only Jesus has the power to rescue. His name is the only one in the world that can rescue everyone. Acts chapter 4 verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be rescued. Who do you think is going to rescue you? Now, if you're in the swimming pool and you're struggling to swim, then you hope that the, the rescue could be anyone who can swim. Lifeguard but anyone reasonably fit enough to swim. So rescue in this sense can be very subjective, but the danger with us as human beings is, is that we can put rescue off into something that is easy to understand. But do we really understand that we need a rescue plan today for each and every one of us? Just like that man that was on Everest that was left to die. And, and, and thank God that someone that came across him put their own agenda aside and literally 
was wanting to conquer Everest themselves. But in that moment, humanity at its best chose to reach out to a dying man and say, hey, it's obvious you need rescuing. When others literally clearly saw another man dying and chose to keep going on. I don't know if I could live with myself knowing I let another person die when I just wanted to conquer something. You could conquer something and still feel terrible. You can build businesses and still feel lost. You can feel like you're the king of the world and feel insignificant. You can have letters after your name and still feel like you have not proven to your father that you're a big deal. Humanity, if we strip ourselves back, we are always in need and we are always wanting to validate ourselves. And there is no one that can validate you better than the one who created you and who knows you. When are we allowing ourselves to consider the greatest rescue plan? And as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are about the rescue plan. We are about the announcement of the greatest God rescue plan there's ever been. And that rescue plan has not stopped. While there's another person who does not know Jesus, that rescue plan is in full pursuit. That rescue plan, I believe, demands our full attention. That rescue plan demands our full resources. That, that, that rescue plan demands our full capacity, our engagement, our awareness, everything that you and I are, our uniqueness, our individuality. God is wanting every one of us to be engaged in this great, great salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9, it says, God saved us, rescued us by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. I don't know about you, but rescuing, rescuing or saving someone is an incredible thing. And it has a, a mixed side to it. And if I can give you some, maybe some points here today. Number one, I, I think we've all got to accept that we need rescuing. Yeah. Maybe you're here today and you're like, oh, what a load of rubbish. No, my friend, at what point are you going to realize that you need rescuing? Because this is what happens is, if you don't believe Jesus is your rescuer, you will find another person to rescue you. And that's what's tragic about it is because then we turn it into a person who cannot rescue us, but we turn him into someone we think that can rescue us. Well, I'm just kind of lonely. I really need a girlfriend. I bet you do. But she can't rescue you. There's lots of things I could say in this context, and I know many of you would understand. But our temptation is always that instead of looking to the Creator, we look to creation. So I believe that if you're trying to find salvation in a person, you're going to be disappointed. Because we're all subject to failure. But one thing that says in here is that this rescuer will not disappoint you. Now, many of you know this, and I'm just reminding you, but it's also about helping us to realize that it's about reaching out to help others. So the first thing I want you to consider is that we need to accept we need rescuing. And I know for many of you have accepted that fact. You need salvation. The people that tend to respond to salvation are usually three categories that are consistent. Three categories. I always do that. Three categories. The poor. The Bible defines the poor as people who lack power. And there's many people in our world who lack power. 
But they tend to be the ones that respond to the good news, the rescue plan of God. Why? Because they know they need something and they tend to be more open to it. People who are broken, their life has been threatened or they're about to lose their life because of a terminal disease or the announcement of there's nothing else we can do for you. People who have separated tragically a marriage falling apart or a family or a loved one, some, something where something's broken and it brings us to our knees. And often they can be the ones that respond to good news. Why? Because they're desperate for hope. They're desperate to get out of this mess of whatever it is. And the third group that tend to respond to the good news are people, what we would call criminals. People that have been locked away because of criminal activity, because they've broken the law. Whatever that range of, of criminal activity is, but they tend to be open. Why? Because they tend to want redemption. They want to be redeemed. They need forgiveness. They know they've done wrong for many of them, not all of them, but many of them, they know they've done wrong and it's, they want another chance. And they tend to be the ones that respond to the good news if they're presented with it. The challenge in our society is the more affluent we are, the more we have this false sense of security where we don't need rescuing. My money can rescue me. My titles can rescue me. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know who I know? Don't you know where I've been? Don't you know where I've come from? I'm a big deal. Well, you might be a big deal, but I tell you what, you cannot rescue yourself when it comes to the eternal things, when it comes to life beyond the grave. So whoever you are, wherever you're from, would you at least be willing enough, humble enough, open enough and big enough to accept that you need rescuing? For many of us, we've accepted that. Number two, I believe that when you're rescued, it transforms you. There's many stories in the Bible where Jesus gets in a boat and he tells the fisherman, Peter especially, to put nets out on the other side and he gets such a catch that he cannot believe it because he fished all night the night before and he caught nothing. And then Jesus gets in his boat and he says one word, fish on this side, and he gets the biggest catch he's ever had. And what does Peter do? He literally in that moment says, depart from me, I am a sinful man. He is overwhelmed by the goodness of a saviour that in that moment he realizes you don't want me because I am too messy, I am too complicated, I am, I am damaged goods. And what does Jesus do? Yeah, I agree, you're a mess. You're an idiot. You're an absolute... No, he doesn't agree with him. He literally says, come and follow me. He goes in Luke's gospel again. He meets Matthew, who's a known criminal. He's a corrupt man. He's a fiddler and a dealer. He's literally taking money for Rome and he's taking money for himself. And he is a corrupt man. Jesus turns up and says, Matthew, Levi, follow me. I mean, that's a really good plan for picking your best team, a corrupt tax collector on Jesus' team. But ask yourself the question, are you still shocked that Jesus chose you? Are you still surprised that He reached out to you? Because you don't want anyone to know what you've done and where you've been and what you've said and what you've done. I'm telling you, no one wants to know anything about the past. But God knew everything and He still reached out to you. This is the great rescue plan. You are not too complicated for Jesus. You're not too broken. You're not too messy. You're not unredeemable. And this is the rescue plan. So number one, we need to accept that we need to be rescued. Number two, I believe that the rescue, God's rescue, it transforms us. You know, His love is amazing. 
One moment you feel like you don't deserve it, and then the truth is you realize, oh my goodness, this is mind-blowing. And yes, what grace is. Grace is giving what you don't deserve. I don't deserve this, but I got it. And it's the grace of God. It's the rescue plan of God. I don't know about you, but rescued people tend to be very different after the rescue. And number three, I believe rescued people rescue others. As we go into this Christmas season, could we consider it to be rescue season? Who needs rescuing? What family is struggling to pay the bills? I'm not just talking about spiritual rescue. I'm talking about just practical rescue. Some people are struggling to get through this month. Maybe we could be the answer. I don't know. Maybe a parent's trying to be a blessing to their children this Christmas, but we could be the answer. I don't know. There are so many opportunities for us to bring a spirit of rescue. And I don't mean rescuing diminishes people. I'm not talking about lowering people, condescending. I'm talking about understanding your capacity to understand that each and every one of us, our loved ones, our family members, our work colleagues, they need rescuing if they're not with Jesus, they need rescuing. Now, do you go into drama mode? No. What I've learned being in Australia, I went out swimming this time because it was reasonable to swim and lifeguard puts the flag, swim between the flags. But what I've noticed is, and this is what they tell you, there are more people who drown through being (laughs) the rescuer because when they see someone who needs rescuing, they run out there to rescue them, but they can't handle it themselves. And what happens is sometimes the person's panicking and they end up drowning the rescuer. I'm not asking you to put yourself out there where you actually come out worse. (laughs) Oh, I tried to rescue her, but (gasps) God's no longer on the throne. I'm not asking you to become dramatic about the rescue. I'm just asking you to consider that if you've been rescued, you're a candidate for becoming a rescuer. I believe that really that is something that God puts. So so what are we talking about? Salvation is an identity rescue. The salvation we're talking about today is an identity rescue. Peter was called Simon. And when Jesus did that miracle in his boat with the fish, the only time you read it in Luke's gospel is called Simon Peter. It's the only time it's mentioned. And then afterwards, he's only ever called Peter. It's called an identity rescue. And I believe every one of us have been rescued when it comes to our identity. We were defining ourselves by our jobs, by our relationships, by the money in the bank or what we've achieved or what we've accomplished. Can I let you know when Jesus stepped into your life, He gave you a brand new identity. Now you know who you are. You're a child of God. You're a son. You're a king. You're a prince. You are right with Jesus. In other words, everything has changed. You don't have to do it for love. You are doing it from love. You're not doing it for acceptance. You're doing it from acceptance. So I believe salvation is an identity rescue. Number two, salvation is an ownership rescue. Salvation is an ownership rescue. God came to rescue that which belongs to Him. That's what Christmas is about. Don't get caught up in all the nice things that we've got in our current culture and society. They come and go. Enjoy them, yes, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when you keep Jesus at His rightful place, you can enjoy a whole lot of things that comes with culture, but I need you to understand it's a salvation of ownership. It's a rescue of ownership. In other words, you belong to God. How many of your loved ones, how many people do you know that need to realize that they actually belong to God? Why don't you believe God this year that you're going to be a rescuer? 
to people who need rescuing. And I believe you're going to see people come back into this place where they actually belong to God in Jesus' name. And the final one I wanted to share with you is salvation is a family rescue. Salvation is a family rescue. I don't know about you, but uh, if you've got a family member and they're, and, they're, and they're not good, I'm telling you there's something about wanting them rescued. And we hear about this all the time. People who are caught up in different regimes or caught up as, as hostages or they're caught up and they're, they're held against their own will and, and family members and loved ones are desperate and they petition government, they petition the embassy, they petition whoever they can, the media, to try and get their loved ones free. I want you to understand God went a long way to rescue you. You should never forget that. You know how valuable you are? Because God came up with the most ingenious rescue plan because that's how big a deal you are. There was no money, there was no amount of money that He was not willing to spend to come after you. You know how valuable you are? Because there was not an amount put on your head. It was whatever it takes to get him, to get you, to get her. We marvel at a man trying to get to Mount Everest who would stop and rescue a man that was dying. How much more God Himself who would leave the splendour of heaven and He would become like one of us. He would feel our pain. He would feel the lack. He would feel the injustice. He would feel the vulnerability. He would feel what it's like to be rejected. He would feel to be sidelined. He would feel everything that we are subject to. That's why He's a God who can connect with you. That's why He's a God you can identify with. Why? Because He's a God who has gone through pain. He's a God that suffered and He is a God that literally limited Himself so He could advance someone else beyond Himself. I want you to know there is no greater message, there is no greater story, and there is no greater rescue plan that humanity will ever hear. Amen.